In the late 1800s and early 1900s, criminals often broke the law in the Kansas Plains. But some did it for good reasons, and others for evil. Sadly, the state's chronicles of true crimes is as old as the state itself. Forged in the pre-Civil War raids of bleeding Kansas, and scarred by massacres and attacks on both sides during the Indian Wars, justice and moral rights were not always clear or aligned with the law. Kansans love an underdog who stands against perceived tyranny. Some of our state's most notorious outlaws have long been glorified as daring robbers and swashbuckling killers, their narrative shaped in dime-store novels to reflect frontier ideals of the rugged individuality of pioneers. As a result, retellings might overlook the crimes of the outlaws and see only the romance of the rebels. Today, Wild West Podcast will look at an article published by the Kansas Magazine entitled Notorious, co-authored by our own producer, Mike King. In this episode, we'll look back on some historical figures from the state's early history to examine some of the worst outlaws from Kansas who ran afoul of the law. Mike, how did the article Notorious come about? Well, Brad, in December of 2022, I was contacted by Nathan Pinnegill, senior editor with the Sunflower Publishing, to do a feature story on the worst of the worst outlaws in Kansas. Before you get too far into the prerequisites of the article, I have a question. How did Nathan know to seek you out for this article? Well, Brad, I'm not really sure and can only speculate. Back in 2021, I was contacted by Amber Farley, a freelance writer doing a story about Talking Kansas, a story on podcasters doing a deep dive into Kansas legends and attractions. The story about the Wild West podcast eventually appeared in issue number five of the 2021 Kansas Magazine. They discovered our podcast on early Kansas history and included us in a side article about our work. That past contact on our topics on Wild West history probably prompted them to do an exploratory relay, like catching a fish flopping around in water. Well, anyway, Nathan contacted me in December of 2022. After a 30-minute video conference brainstorming some ideas about the article, we conceived a few ideas on how to proceed. The feature story would narrow down the field of the worst outlaws of Kansas to include at least 13 baddies. The list would be ranked chronologically, including a short bio that, that a designer could use to make infographics such as a manner of death, type of crime, loner, or gang member or killer status. Kind of like a baseball card featuring individual statistics. Then the idea of creating an outlaw bracket surfaced, as seen in a Final Four college playoff bracket. It was then agreed that an extensively annotated March Madness basketball-style bracket with a listing of 13 or more Kansas outlaws would be created. The bracket would demonstrate Kansas outlaws going head-to-head with an analysis of who wins the worst of the worst matchup in each round and why. So, knowing that the outlaws of Kansas didn't fit a specific mold, and many outlaws started out as low-paying jobs as lawmen, 
many needed second jobs to survive. As a result, it was not unusual for outlaws to put on a badge, nor for admired law enforcement officers to stray across the line and thus considerably raise their standard of living. How did you determine your rank order by differentiating between lawmen and outlaw? Brad, you are right. This ranking was a difficult task, so I devised a scoring grid to determine their placement on the worst of the worst brackets. The qualifiers were judged on batty points. Outlaws who disturbed the peace, rustled cattle, or committed robbery scored one point. A gunfighter got two batty points, and a confirmed killer got three points. If they fought on the side of the law and then betrayed the badge, they also got three points. So the list began as I researched each individual outlaw and the number of times they committed a crime during their tenure as a Kansas outlaw. It took about two weeks to do a deep dive at the Kansas Heritage Center Library in Dodge City. So who were some of the outlaws on the list? Brad, I I only listed eight because some of the noted outlaws needed more scoring points to make the finals. These outlaws included Henry Brown, William L. Billy Brooks, Luke Short, Robert Reddick Dalton, Jim Curry, Texas Billy Thompson, Dirty Dave Rudabaugh, and Mysterious Dave Mather, among a few others. I can predict your next question, though, Brad. Who won out on being the worst of the baddies in the bracket? So let's do this. I would like for you to take the next question. Look at the list Give us your top two picks from at least two of the worst outlaws and tell us why you selected them as in chronological order. In other words, who would be your first uh, and who would be the baddest of the bad? Well, Mike, in that order, I'm going to say my picks would be Jim Curry and Henry Brown. So, so Brad, what you're telling me is Jim Curry is first, and then Henry Brown is second. So I, I want, I'm want. i very curious why you picked Jim Curry over Henry Brown, but let's talk a little bit more about Jim Curry first. Well, Mike, uh, even though I am a, a native-born Dodge Cityan and, and have lived here, again, is for the majority of my adult life, uh, I spent most of my formative years in uh, Hayes, in, in Ellis County, which is where Jim Curry was probably most notable. And any time that you got uh, in the historical community there in Hayes, and we're talking about the old outlaws of Hayes, Jim Curry was uh, dominated the conversation. He was, by all accounts, one of the uh, evilest Westerners that uh, ever slapped gun leather, as they say. And an 1883 account uh, by a, a Kansas historical publication listed him as one of the absolute worst, just a a dreg of society. Uh, I can't remember the exact verbiage that they used, but uh, very uncharitable speaking about about Jim Curry. As I have looked into his life and career as an adult uh, and, and more of a historian, it seems to be on account of his reputation 
Jim was blamed for a lot of crimes, even murders, other things that he may not have actually committed. Uh, so there's very little, in fact, that we can pin down uh, actually to Jim Curry. Uh, and probably the, the greatest, uh, the funnest story, I guess, if you can call it that, of, of Jim's career didn't even happen in Kansas. Uh, it was that event in Texas where he uh, wound up in a shooting scrape with a couple of actors, uh, one of whom was Maurice Barrymore. Uh, who he actually shot uh, in a saloon in Texas, uh, Maurice Barrymore, the father of of John Lionel and Ethel, which would make him the, the great-grandfather of Drew Barrymore. So uh, uh, luckily, uh, Barrymore survived uh, for the, the Barrymore acting legacy. But see, if the greatest event of his outlaw career didn't even happen in Kansas, I don't think we can really qualify Jim as as among the worst of the Kansas outlaws. Brad, uh, besides being somewhat evil and a evil character, can you tell us a little bit more about Jim Curry's background? Did he have a profession? Did he work? Did he fight in the civil war? Tell us a little bit about his family life, anything extra that would kind of give us an idea about how his personality went to the evil side during his time as an outlaw. Uh, yes, Mike. He, he was uh, a, an early immigrant to, uh, or an, an immigrant to the United States at an early age. Uh, I'll say it that way, eight or nine years old uh, when he arrived in New York, uh, eventually made his way west, enlisted in the army at the outbreak of the Civil War. Uh, he served from uh, Antietam through a great uh a great majority of the war, I believe, uh, although even the the units that he served in suffered very heavy casualties. Jim himself was, by all accounts, never wounded uh, at all. So, so he emerged from the Civil War relatively unscathed. And I say relatively because uh, as he drifted west, then further after the war, uh, becoming a, involved in the uh, the railroad. And I say relatively because uh, after, as he drifted west, again, after the war, uh, he got involved working for the railroad uh, initially as an engineer. At uh, one point, he allegedly, uh, and again, I say allegedly, uh, shot uh, up to or as many as four other men on his, uh, on his route, on his engine, uh, and supposedly carried the scalp of a Kiowa Indian that he had supposedly uh, killed. Supposedly that the the Kiowa was the the first civilian uh, murder that he had or, or killing. Uh, I'll say that he had he done after the war. Uh, also involved for at least a brief time, I believe, as a railroad detective. Uh, which is what took him down to Texas. Uh, he was involved in, in breaking up the, the Sam Bass gang down there. Uh, and in Hayes, I believe even if you tour downtown Hayes uh, today, you get to the site of uh, Tommy Drum's saloon. Uh, the listed on the, the historical plaque there that's outside the, the site of what was uh, the building uh, in its heyday. Uh, Jim Curry is the only official name listed on that marker just because he was, he was known to frequent uh, Tommy drums 
which was uh, Tommy Drum was kind of the Chockley Beeson of Dodge City. Uh, Tommy Drum's place was kind of the, the long branch of Hayes. Uh, I'll say that it was where everybody, where everybody went. Anybody who was anybody sooner or later showed up at Tommy Drum's, uh, which is also sort of how Jim Curie's reputation sort of exploded there in Ellis County because he was always there. So everyone was familiar with him. Uh, and during those years for, through Ellis County Hayes and, and afterwards, he does seem to have suffered severe alcoholism, uh, which I think makes him a ripe case for uh, uh, shell shock, PTSD, uh, whatever, whatever you'd want to call it in the, the 1860s, 1870s. Uh, he, he was drunk in most of the, the events, escapades that we either know for a fact or suspect him being involved in. Uh, certainly he was drunk in the Maurice Barrymore incident. Uh, so that his drunkenness, I'm sure, also contributed to his uh, reputation as a um, unsavory character. So, Brad, Jim Curry is one of your baddie, baddie guys, but you, and he sounds pretty evil, actually. I mean, he sounds like a very, very bad character, but you still picked Henry Brown as your second choice. So why is Henry Brown even more desperate outlaw Jim Curry? Well, Mike, in answer to that question, I'm going to use your own uh, scoring system as an answer. The, uh, the lawman who, who uh, uh, betrayed the badge uh, makes him a, a very, I would say his last moments is one of the most loathsome uh, characters of, of early Kansas uh, it started out uh, long, like many others, uh, involved in the Lincoln County War. A contemporary of uh, you know Kid Curry, Billy the Kid, uh, that group down there, uh, as many others. Uh, of course, uh, Dave Rudabaugh, another uh, Kansan on the uh, uh, Kansas Outlaw on your list, uh, kind of got his start down there. Um, after the events of, of Lincoln County kind of tamed down, uh, like many others in that group, uh, Henry Brown did wind up in Kansas, uh, became a cattleman for a brief time, and also the initially the assistant marshal and eventually the marshal of Caldwell, Kansas, a, a rip-roaring cow town uh, in the, the early uh, trail driving days. Uh, and and served with uh, a great deal of repute uh, by by all accounts uh, was very well thought of by the citizens of Caldwell uh, until eventually he made the decision to convince the mayor of Caldwell uh, that he needed to head down to Medicine Lodge uh, under some sort of uh, a story that he'd concocted uh, for. Of course, business reasons, uh, something he had to go check out down there. Uh, and Brown, along with uh, three or four other men, decided that they were going to rob the Medicine Lodge Bank. Now, Brad, one of the things that may have prompted him to go to Medicine Lodge to rob that bank was that he got married. And he married a lady who was very demanding 
of, you know, she wanted things. She wanted jewelry. She wanted fine things, houses, that kind of thing. So his motivation may have been when he went to Medicine Lodge to find some luxuries that he could provide for his new wife. Uh, Mike, you're absolutely correct. Uh, His wife was a a reasonably wealthy socialite, uh, college educated. She, she did have a degree, which was a rarity uh, for really for anyone in this part of the, uh, the world at that time, especially for a woman. Uh, So she was used to some of the finer things demanded the finer things and uh, uh, as uh, in a song from a Disney movie that I remember once, he, he bought her trinkets that sailors can't afford. Uh, and, and so, yes, I, I believe that probably was uh, a bit of the motiv- motivation for robbing the Medicine Lodge Bank. Uh, needless to say, the, the mayor agreed to allowing him to head down on the excursion. Uh, it was a, a failed bank robbery, miserable, absolutely miserable failure. Uh, the, the men were arrested, uh, locked up and in, in what should be, uh, a Western movie, uh, the, the typical quintessential lynch mob, uh, scenario, uh, they, they stormed uh, the lynch mob stormed the jail, uh, late in the evening, uh, one of the smaller men had actually slipped out of their their handcuffs. They were preparing to make their escape uh, as the lynch mob entered. Henry Brown was the first to cut and run. Uh, as the, the door opened, the lynch mob were about to enter. He just shotgunned out of that building right through the crowd, planning to make his escape. Didn't get very far before he was uh, almost quite literally cut in half by a shotgun blast. Uh, the, so yeah, his his lawman career ended badly. Uh, his outlaw career ended possibly even worse. Uh, but just because of that, that one scenario, uh, I would rank him among the worst of the worst of Kansas outlaws. So with all that said, uh, how did I do? Did I, did I get any of them correct? My best answer, Brad, is for... Anyone who wants to know to go out and read the featured article, Notorious, in the 2023 fall edition of the Kansas Magazine, or follow us on our upcoming Kansas Outlaws and Lawmen series. But before closing, I want to mention that Notorious is a two-part article, the bad ones and the good ones, like the good the bad, and the unmentioned ugly. Part two is authored by Dr. Patricia Ackerman of Kansas State University, who served as coordinator for the Faculty Resource Center and Graduate Program. She is noted for her freelance writing abilities and maintains membership with a room of her writing consortium, the Hedgebrook Foundation, and Women Writing the West. Overall, the Notorious article is well thought out, creative, informative, and with multiple infographics and illustrations by Torin Thomas. 
Now, Torin is a Kansas University graduate specializing in freelance character, portrait artist, and character design from Lawrence, Kansas. As you see, many people with extraordinary talents go into creative magazine, and the Kansas Magazine publishes a superior product. Additional features in the notorious issue include articles from murder mystery diners, Kansas speakeasies, the Leavenworth U.S. Penitentiary, and, of course, food crimes. That's it for now. Remember to check out our Wild West podcast shows on iTunes podcast or wildwestpodcast.buzzsprout.com. You can also catch us on Facebook at facebook.com slash wildwestpodcast or on our YouTube channel at Wild West Podcast Mike King YouTube. So make sure you subscribe to our shows listed at the end of the description text of this podcast to receive notifications on all new episodes. Additionally, if you're interested in purchasing a subscription to Kansas Magazine, go to www.kansasmag.com or follow the link provided in the description section of this podcast. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any comments or would like to add to any of our series, you can write us at wildwestpodcast at gmail.com. We'll share your thoughts as they apply to future episodes. Join us next time as we begin our feature series on Kansas Lawmen and Outlaws. Outlaws.